Because the whole world gone crazy! Just please, go nuts. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I mean, really, explore the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another one. <laughs> should we do this episode backwards? I yeah. think we should start with a, a stay hydrated and a juice it. What do you think of that idea? All right, everybody. Here's something I want to tell you about your fucking day you're about to have. Here's what's about to happen. You're about to go out there, reach into your own eardrums, and fucking juice it. You're about to get every fucking piece of potential knowledge and beauty out of this episode a person possibly can. Now, if you look at any bottle of juice, on the label there it says 2% juice. But what's that other ninety eight percent? What is it? Fucking water. Yeah, stay your ass hydrated. Stay hydrated. Yeah, stay yeah. vibrated. You guys. <laughs> anyway, goodbye. This is the end of the show. <laughs> anyway, welcome to a Beautiful Animals Podcast. Welcome back. A podcast featuring Andy Bosch. This is a podcast featuring myself and my dear friend Tyler Cole. Here we are listening to ourselves. Dun, 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 dun. Thanks for tuning in to another experience of the mind. Here with Andy Bosch and Tyler Cole, we explore the intricacies of human development, social expression, and the vagaries of woo-woo science. Woo-woo science indeed, Andy. Come with us on a journey. A journey into the mind. The unconscious mind. Today we will discuss the effects of placebo. And we will throw in an occasional fart joke. But who knows? (laughs) The opportunities are endless. All that's left is that you strap in, buckle up, and enjoy this mindset-laden, placebo-heavy episode of Beautiful Animals Podcast. <laughs> All right. So what are we going to be talking about today anyway? <laughs> yeah, today... <laughs> today <laughs> I we're, said it, but uh, yeah, let's clear I know, it up well, to, Just in case you didn't understand my accent from before, <laughs> today we're going to today we're gonna circle back a little bit on uh, research done by one of the professors at Stanford on the science of mindsets, placebo, and uh, belief effects. So... Check it out, guys. We got a little bit of woo and a little bit of the choo-choo. So. <laughs> <laughs> woo and choo-choo. Like yeah. So last week we talked about some of the wooier woo claims around the unconscious Ooh. after sort of unpacking different interpretations of models of the brain and understandings of the unconscious, conscious, and subconscious. So after that little divergence into the world of pseudoscience and areas that are not necessarily unfounded but certainly unproven, yeah, I wanted to come back to the realm of the now and the known and the um, documented and highlight some things that I heard on a recent episode of Human Labs Podcast, which I've been talking about all the time. What I'm going to be talking about today is basically a little recap of episode 56 of Human Labs Podcast, so feel free to go check out the source material, but it's just so interesting that I wanted to bring it directly to the Beautiful Animals listeners of Whoa. Beautiful Animals Podcast. And of course, my dear friend T. Yeah, yeah, I was T. Money, the T. Diddler Cole, because yeah. um, you know the shit's super interesting. We briefly touched on uh, one study performed by this doctor. Her name is Dr. Aliyah Crum. She's the head of the Mind Body Lab at Stanford University, and she is one of, if not the leading researcher on, we could call it the placebo effect, but she refers to it as mindset effects or belief effects. And this is essentially, uh, you know, it's interesting. She makes the point that there's actually a lot of data on placebo effects now because almost every other clinical trial also has to beat the standard of a placebo. Oh, that's right, yeah. So all of of these studies of placebos 
are documented in yeah. every other clinical trial. So you can do these pretty vast longitudinal or meta-analysis studies of placebo effects. It's a big deal. Expectations are a big part of the effect that your body receives from a drug. I heard the other day that uh, M&Ms are they're very beneficial in a lot of ways. Uh, uh-huh. Give me some of the... Please tell me some of the health benefits so I don't feel like a total piece of garbage right now. <laughs> we did just buy a two-pound bag of M&Ms. <sighs> and we've been munching on it. <laughs> yeah. And they taste good. That's one of the benefits. They taste really good. They do taste good. Yeah. Yeah, and they taste really good. And everyone knows that if you have a good taste in your mouth, you produce <laughs> more high-quality blood cells. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the first study that I want to talk about that, that uh, she performed is called the milkshake study. Ooh, I like it already. Yeah, I know, right? So in this study, they took a bunch of boys and they put them in the yard, right? <laughs> 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 I knew it was going there. I know. No, okay. So they this this study, they took uh, they made these milkshakes, and they had these two different groups of people. Um, they split them up. To one group of people, they gave them the milkshake, and they said, hey, this is like a low-calorie um, low carb, like diet shake, low sugar, you know, and they had them drink it. Then they had the other group and they said, Hey, this is like a high calorie, high sugar, really delicious, like treat milkshake. And then they measured, they measured a particular hormone that has to do with hunger in the gut of the individuals that had had each oh. milkshake, right? The hunger hormone. The hunger hormone. I'm, if you really want to know all the names of the hormones, go <laughs> listen to Huberman Labs podcast and they'll tell you about the neurons and the hormones and all the actual very specific scientific stuff. For us, more of a... Just give you the gist of it oh, here yeah. at Beautiful Animals just Podcast. The, <laughs> just the recap. Anyway, <laughs> they measured this particular hormone in the gut that is associated with hunger, right? Basically, it's the hunger hormone. If you're feeling hungry, it's because there's high levels of this hormone, right? So the people who had consumed what they thought was the diet shake had higher levels of hunger hormone in their gut. And the people who had been told that the shake they consumed was like five, six hundred calorie, super decadent, sugary shake, had very low levels of the hunger hormone in their gut. So that means the uh, the the one that's all sugary and gross uh, means better for you, right? Yes, I mean, <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, in the in terms of this, those people, all the shakes were the same, right? Yeah. All of them were a middle of the road, three hundred calorie regular shake. If you were Trying to give someone a diet shake so that they would reduce their food intake and potentially lose weight, then you want them to drink this diet shake and then be less hungry. Because then they'd be really less likely to eat some else. Right. So you want to tell them it's a sugary shake. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they're going to be more hungry. Huh. Right. So yeah. you're 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 kind of right when you say the one they were told was worse for them had more potentially beneficial effects toward weight loss than the one that was healthy, not because. It's not, you know, so you might think of the placebo effect and you're like, oh, they were told they were eat, drinking a healthy shake so they're more healthy. Or they're told they were drinking like a shittier shake so they have shittier health outcomes. But it's more nuanced than that. But this is what I'm talking about. Like she's studying these nuances. So the cultural mindset or the cultural governing belief system is playing a role on your mindset, which is playing a role on your expectation of the outcome of the thing that you're ingesting. In this case... Culturally, for all of these people, there is a belief that something that is healthier isn't going to be as filling. Oh, yeah. And they also know that if if you have that milkshake, it'll ruin your dinner. The other, yeah, the other yeah. the other milkshake. Yeah, the yeah. Milkshake, yeah. But here's the point, right? What, my point, dude. I'll tell you my point, dude. What she's trying to figure out is, or what she wants to elucidate for people, 
is you have to be selective about the type of messaging you are using in accompaniment with whatever kind of treatment you're trying to give. Because you might be doing the wrong thing by telling someone, this is a super healthy shake. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Unless you couch the term healthy shake and like, this is an incredibly nutritive, filling, delicious, oh. healthy shake. Yeah. You know what? Because if you just let somebody's sort of preconceived idea of a healthy shake govern their experience with that shake, and you don't wrap it in like these other, you don't give them these other expectations to carry with them into the experience of the shake, then they might, their body will, in this study at least, be like, well, I'm still hungry, let's go eat a donut. So there's a lot of nuance and a lot of layers to belief effects and placebo effects. And we're going to talk about a few of them today. All right, let's hear them. Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes me think of uh, a Slim Fast, which is basically just chocolate milk in a can that's like, yeah. eat this instead of eating. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I'm sure it's more complex than that. Probably not. I'm sure there's maybe some protein in it. I don't know. but Well, it's sort of, I mean, just that study speaks to the idea, or a little bit at least in my opinion, speaks to why dieting is not effective in general. Because <laughs> because you're telling yourself that you're restrict, you're telling your body I will now be restricting my intake, so we will now be hungry. If you were instead to tell your body, like, guess what? We're about to go on the most epic culinary adventure of the <laughs> most nutritious shit. I'm going to be feeding you the best shit you've ever gotten. Think about it like that. Like, if that's what you said, and that's how you approached a salad, instead of with the mindset of, like, oh, well, I don't want to eat all the rice and chicken that I really want, so I'm going to eat this salad then your body's going to respond totally different. If you're like, fuck yeah, look at those greens. <laughs> look at all the iron and shit in those leafy <laughs> greens. I'm going to fucking devour that delicious salad. You know what I mean? I'm glad you used rice and chicken as an example of unhealthy food. I love rice and chicken. I know, <laughs> it's not an unhealthy food. I'm just saying, I mean, I guess if you're eating it, never. <laughs> just scratch it. We're going to go back. We're going to call it a burger. <laughs> just take that part and just put this audio over it. Okay, ready? Bacon cheeseburger with fries. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you just cut that and put it over where I said rice and chicken? <laughs> <Sure>. Thanks. <laughs> rice and chicken is really good for you. But I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just a podcaster. But you see what I'm saying, right? You, yeah. you get the, the point that I'm trying to make. I'm talking about the mindset with which you approach yeah. your food yeah. is going to have an effect literally on the hormone levels in your gut that make you hungry. So if you're not paying attention to the way you're approaching your meals, if you're not eating it with joy and satisfaction... You might not be doing yourself the favor by eating healthy that you think you are. That makes sense. Yeah, because right? like if you're on like a cleanse and you're like, oh, only eating water and lemon juice with Tabasco in it. If you're like miserable the whole time, you're like, man, I can't wait to get back to a cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. If you if you have this um, restriction mindset, if you're going into your meals with a restriction mindset, you're you're more likely to yo-yo in your diet, right? <laughs> Where you you'll do it really well for a while, but then. But the whole time you're telling your body, I'm eating less, I'm eating less, I'm eating less. Yeah. It's just going to be hungrier and hungrier and wanting those other foods you're not giving it. you got to approach your healthier diet with the pleasure and appreciation that it deserves in order to do your to tell your body, like, hey, we're going to love this now. We're yeah. stoked about this food now. This reminds me of a quote from Wendell Berry that my sister shared with me at one point. And I think he nailed it. Eating with the fullest pleasure, pleasure that is that does not depend on ignorance, is perhaps the profoundest enactment of our connection with the world. If you're not enjoying it, if you're not like putting that joy into it and like really telling telling yourself, telling your body like how good that is for you, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Pleasure that does not depend, depend on, on ignorance. ignorance. What does that mean? So like, if you're taking pleasure in your food because you don't know that they tortured oh. a lamb <laughs> in order for you to eat it or whatever, 
like if you're if you're taking pleasure with a full understanding of what you're eating as opposed to pleasure that depends upon ignorance upon lying to yourself like i'm eating this cheeseburger and it's good even though i know that it comes it's made out of trash yeah this this chicken nugget comes off of a very happy chicken yeah and it's alive still (laughs) (laughs) profoundest are is the profoundest enactment of our connection with the world anyway interesting quote do you know that the that restaurant they like have such good fucking food some one time I was eating there and it was so good and I was like man if I could eat this every day I, my life would just be better I would be a better person <laughs> yeah <laughs> everything about my life would improve just by eating mm-hmm. this every day so anyway so this is this is sort of the the idea behind calling this study a study of belief effects as opposed to just the placebo effect right yeah because it takes into account these sort of overarching uh, cultural ideas and in addition to your mindset uh, Dr. Leah Crum of Stanford uh, breaks it in breaks a belief effect into three parts, three uh, sets of expectations or parts, right? Which are number one, the social context. So that's what we were just talking about. Number two, the personal mindset or belief, and number three, the actual physiological process. Yeah. So when you're studying the belief effects of a specific treatment, you need to be looking at those three categories, right? I mentioned it briefly uh, last week, but just to sort of, we'll just go over it again, the hotel study. You remember that from last week? I do, yeah. We talked about it uh, the week before last. Oh, was that two weeks ago? Anyway, so the hotel study performed again by Dr. Leah Crum, they took a a couple of randomized groups of hotel workers, cleaning people, who were doing many hours of physical labor a day uh, in, in cleaning the hotel, right? And they broke them into two groups. No one in, in the beginning, nobody in that group, either group, thought of the work that they were doing as physical, potentially beneficial physical labor. Yeah, right? they didn't consider it a workout. No, they didn't consider it a workout. They knew it was hard. They knew their bodies hurt at the end of the day. Yeah. But they weren't thinking of it in any way like going to the gym and working out for self-improvement. So they took these. they took this group of hotel workers and they randomized them and they broke them into two separate groups. One group they didn't say anything to, but the other group they said, "Hey, look, your the amount of work you're getting per day uh, exceeds the Surgeon General's recommendation for physical activity on a daily basis, and as such, you should be seeing these health benefits like, uh, you know, lower resting heart rate, better blood pressure, all this stuff, right? And then they left and then came back six weeks later, ran through all of those tests with the two different randomized groups again. The group that they had told that they were getting enough physical activity to see positive health benefits, all of a sudden, like in that six-week period, had lost weight, had gained muscle mass, had reduced their blood pressure, had uh, lowered their resting heart rate, had basically experienced all of these health benefits that you would expect from somebody going to the gym for several hours of the day. But they they were not receiving those benefits before that they before they believed they should be receiving those health benefits. And then as soon as they began to believe or understand that they should be receiving these health benefits just from their daily work, their body then received those health benefits. Yeah, it's kind of like a Fitbit situation. Like a Fitbit kind of records the physical activity you've already been doing, and you're able to realize, oh damn, I walk four miles a day at work. Yeah, and then you start losing weight even <laughs> though you were already doing it. <laughs> That that sort of thing, though, like they actually talk about it in this episode, can uh, can go both ways, right? Because yeah. let's say you get one of those like whoop trainers or something whoop. that tells you if you're under training or over training, yeah. 
you can do a heavy day of work and then you look at your watch and it says you didn't train enough. Yeah. And you, literally from looking at your watch, you might lose some of the benefits you had already gained huh, because yeah. your expectation of the benefits you would gain just changed. Yeah, like if you were, I don't know, you'd say you finished a hike or something and you're like, man, my, I, that must have been 10,000 calories. Yeah. And you look at your Fitbit and it's like, it was 450 calories. And you're like, oh, fuck. You're like, gosh. <laughs> yeah. You By believing that it was 10,000 calories, you probably yeah. will burn more calories because you told your body, I did more work. Like your body is responding, and, and I guess that's the moral of this whole story, your body's not just responding to the objective physical experience that it's having. Yeah. It is in a large part like significantly responding to what you think is going on. Your brain's releasing hormones based on what you think is going on. Right. But also it's not the work that say burns fat, it's the hormones right. that that your brain releases when you're doing work or when you think you're doing work or when you think you're doing work. Yeah, we're going to get back to this, but I'm going to come back to this point, but Aliyah Crum sort of suggests that mindsets are a tool, basically a framework you can use to give commands to your unconscious. So you can't consciously say, hey, stomach, release more digestion hormone. <laughs> we had more food. Be less hungry. But you can tell yourself in a language that you understand, or you can hold the mindset in a language that you can speak, this is nutritive, this is filling, this is delicious. And then from there, your unconscious gathers like, oh, okay, we just ate more food. We can release more of this hormone or less of this hormone. So you, it's sort of like a coded, uh, a way to translate your conscious thought into unconscious action. Which we talked about last episode. Uh, I think Joe Dispenza talked about it. It was how to kind of find that language through meditation. How exactly. To, yeah, yeah his, his idea was that in order to engage in these processes, you have to meditate and literally set your brain to a particular vibe, you know, wavelength level in order to have that conversation with your unconscious in order to get your body to release certain hormones or yeah. engage in certain genetic activities. And that's why I wanted to do that episode and and then talk about this because there are ways you can do that. There are scientifically proven ways they can do that. And and I'm not saying that meditation isn't one of them. Yeah. But there but having the right mindset is maybe an easier and more accessible and more attainable one that people are underutilizing at this point because we're given a lot of mindsets that aren't beneficial for us by society at large <laughs> and maybe by ourselves. And we'll talk more about this in an upcoming episode that we're planning out. But one thing, I mean, just a just a note on like mind over matter kind of thing. Do you Have you ever heard of the term a psychogenic fever? I don't think so. It's a very commonly experienced and understood thing where if you believe you have a fever... You can change, you can modulate your own body temperature by one to three degrees. Oh, really? Just by thinking that you have a fever or believing that you should have a fever. Like one to three degrees, and three degrees is pretty significant <laughs> yeah, body yeah. temperature increase. And that's without any physiological component beyond the belief that you have or should have a fever. It's called a psychogenic fever. Just psyching yourself out. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. On the note of like the whoops and other like tracking devices, one thing that they bring up on this episode. You know, losing sleep is extremely detrimental. Stud many, many studies show there are some very significant deleterious effects of losing sleep, right? Yes, definitely. One thing that they wonder, they, the discussion around expectations brings up is like, okay, well, what if you wake up and you're like, yeah, okay, I feel like I got a good night, night's sleep. And then you look at your phone or your tracker and it's like, no, you slept like shit last night. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> then you might feel worse for the rest of the day than if you had just not 
looked at your sleep tracker, and actually the host of Huberman Labs, Dr. Andrew Huberman, just anecdotally had started doing that in his own life because he used to track his sleep really carefully, but then he decided, but then he felt like that was occurring, where he'd yeah. wake up, feel fine, and then look at his tracker and be like, oh, I slept like shit, and then he'd be more <laughs> tired yeah. than if he had just gone about his day as if he'd slept well. Yeah, it'd probably be good to keep track of, but not, not look at it every day, like look at it. At the end of the week yeah, or, something. or something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe people that track their weight yeah, you could short circuit your own process. Yeah, like, like you could be, you could if you're consistent enough about working out or whatever, or eating healthy or whatever your goal is, and but you're not checking on it regularly, but you just believe like, okay, I'm doing it, I'm doing this stuff. Yeah, and if you check one day and you're like, oh, I didn't get quite as much progress as I wanted to in this in the past two days or whatever, and it could just be just because you had more water that day or went to the bathroom at a different time during the day, like right. Dude, I feel and like then you can set yourself back. You can tell your body like, oh, you didn't do as much work as I told you you did do before. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I shouldn't have had that extra carrot stick. And, and then your body will be like, okay, I guess we're packing on a couple more pounds. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to McDonald's for lunch. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, it, this whole thing, for me at least, kind of raised my own awareness of of what mindset I'm approaching different things with and what are the sort of nuances of that mindset. It's not necessarily good to be hard on yourself about things as opposed to being like thinking positively about what you're doing about things physically. It, it, there's a physical, physiological effect beyond how hard it might be emotionally or mentally when you're hard on yourself. There's an actual physiological response that your body's going to engage in if you're beating yourself up about something yeah. than if you're not. One very notable psychologic thing that happens is I tend to be a much better podcaster after two or three beers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's and documented. It is. Uh, <laughs> we've seen it many, many times. And it has nothing to do with the alcohol content. No, it's just, it's your belief. I just literally get smarter when I drink. It's your belief that you get smarter when you drink. <laughs> and I become a way better driver. It's also your belief that you're a funnier <laughs> podcaster. After you, I should give you some fake beers and oh, not tell you. Or some fake tequila like we, did the, like we did the other day. And see if you have a physiological response to that. <laughs> that's akin to real stuff. There's another really interesting study that has to do with this whole idea of mindsets. It's not; It wasn't actually in that same episode of Huberman Labs, but it is another amazing interview that Andrew Huberman had with another highly credentialed individual. In this case, he's the, I forget his name, but he's the lead trainer for uh, the UFC like strength and conditioning lab. So these are very high-level combat athletes that this guy is the director of the whole training institute. So what you're saying is they're pretty fucking hardcore. They're pretty fucking hardcore, and... Um, their goal is to get more hardcore. Their goal is to get more hardcore, and their training regimens are, like, highly, you know, dissected, and yeah. paid. they're paying very close attention to their performance and performance goals and performance output following different training strategies, right? Yeah. One thing, and I found this so fucking interesting, one thing that this guy, through studying athletes and different training regimens, discovered was that if an athlete, let's say you're doing a bench press and you are pushing up the bar, let's just say it's 135 pounds mm -hmm. and you're doing it for three reps, but the athlete, you or the athlete, the person doing the reps, is thinking to themselves like... Get this over with. Yeah, l let's just get this done. Da, da, da. Like that's one way that they're approaching it. Yeah. Then you take another athlete and they are putting up the bar and they're, and they're saying like, oh, I'm pushing this up so hard. I'm, pu I'm working out so hard. I'm getting my muscles so big. They're like having... In their head, they're um, visualizing the muscles. Yeah, visualizing or like reiterating to themselves that what they're doing is going to make them stronger. This is this is what I was doing when I was riding my bike really fast and hit a deer. Oh, really? No, <laughs> but kind of. Anyway, the athlete. So you can move the same amount of weight at the same speed, 
for the same number of reps. Two different athletes, same amount of weight, same speed, same number of reps, right? Everything controlled. The only thing that's different in the athletes is one's mindset is like they're just going through the motions, and the other mindset is like I am actually making myself stronger. I am moving this so fast. I am pushing up more weight. If you're thinking that you're putting up more weight or you're doing it faster or that you're focusing on your muscles, that athlete who believes that they are putting more effort into it or is thinking about their muscles while they're putting in the same amount of effort will actually see greater increases in muscle mass and strength than the athlete who's just kind of going through the motions. And the only thing that is different is what they're thinking about it, is the mindset that they have going into it. So they're just like, yeah, I'm going to get big. Just cranking in there, and then, and then that's what happens. Yeah. In fact, like if you if the athlete believes that they're doing more work, they're going to get better results. They and in the same episode that we were talking about earlier, uh, that we we're talking about this whole episode, Dr. Aliyah Crum talks about when she was a Division One hockey player. They she assumes now thinking back, she was so hard on herself while working out that she was probably like it was probably detrimental to her gains. Yeah. Because she used to do like a two-hour training session and then go into like a two-hour weightlifting program and then jump on the elliptical for 30 minutes. And she would, because she was always thinking she wasn't doing enough, she wasn't doing enough, she wasn't doing enough. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself that what you're doing is not enough, your body's going to react in kind, yeah. react as if you're not doing enough. Well, it's not like you're, I mean. No, it is. <laughs> well, it's not like it's would have been more beneficial for her to do nothing. but No, still. but it would have been more, it might have been more beneficial for her to do less yeah. and feel like it was more yeah. than it was for her to do more and feel like it was less. <laughs> and one thing that uh, Andrew Huberman and uh, Dr. Leah Crum bring up in this episode that I think is really important is just the sort of the messaging that needs to be out there around physical activity. Because what you don't want, like let's say your message to the general populace is you need to get 180 mini- minutes of, of cardio activity per week. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to be detrimental to your health. And then some guys like... And then you have all these people that are getting 90 or 120 minutes, right? Yeah. And they're thinking to themselves like, oh, I'm not getting enough. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. Or it's going to be... I'm not getting enough activity. It's going to be unhealthy. That those If you have that belief system, if you're engaging in that mindset, you will see more deleterious effects. You will see more damaging effects and less beneficial effects from the working out that you're doing. So the mindset should be and has to be for for everybody pretty much is whatever activity you're doing appreciate it and know that it's beneficial for your body and yes you can do more but it's just going to be even more beneficial even if you're just getting up and walking around all day know and appreciate how good that is for your body even if you're just walking up and down your staircase twice a day or even if you're just taking a 30 minute walk yes absolutely do more physical activity it's really good for you but also know and appreciate each one of those opportunities to get some physical activity, and know and appreciate that that's beneficial for your body, too. Don't beat yourself up about it because you just went for a walk. Yeah, just listening to this is making me healthier. It probably is. And this uh, bag of M&M's, it doesn't hurt. It probably, the bag of M&M's, <laughs> <laughs> the negative effects of the bag of M&M's, we're going to counteract with a positive mindset. Exactly. So. Yeah, the secret to making the M&M's beneficial is you have to eat enough of them that you throw up. <laughs> throw like them all a, back up. Yeah, like a cold, controlled bulimia kind of situation. Yeah, you gotta eat like another handful probably. Yeah. I'm right there on the verge it so makes I don't them, need any more. Like, yeah. The last sort of topic that they cover in that episode is a really good episode which I, which I think is one of the most important things that we can talk about is the mindsets around stress. So remember when we talked about we kind of went through the three aspects of belief effects before, right? Which are what? 
Social context. Social context was the first one. Yep. Personal mindset or belief. That was what I was about to say. And then what? The, whatever you were about to say. The actual <laughs> physiological process. Yeah. Right? So when it comes to stress, th- this is an in- I-, I find this very interesting because you got to think like not that long ago, people weren't talking about how stress was detrimental to your health. It's, yeah, it's pretty, it seems like it's pretty kind of surprisingly new. It's surprisingly new. Because now that it's kind of mainstream, it seems pretty obvious. It does seem pretty obvious, and it is pretty obvious, but 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 maybe it's not good that it's so obvious, <laughs> Yeah. right? Because you think about like in the 40s and 50s, I'm not suggesting we should be this way, <laughs> but if somebody were stressed out and they were like, just buck up, you're going to get through it. Like that was the response. It wasn't like, you got to let stress less because otherwise you'll have a heart attack and die. Yeah, and your doctor would be like, have you tried smoking more cigarettes? Right. Might calm you down a little bit. Yeah. Why do you think the French live so long? <laughs> yeah. They just smoke and drink and they don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Their mindset is like, life is beautiful and love is golden and we must continue this. Which they're not consciously doing, but it's they're living a life of less stress. It's their cultural fucking thing, dude. I'm moving. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so stress, right? There's it, Like you just said, stress is commonly known. It's like a common societal context that stress is unhealthy and stress is going to hurt you and stress yeah. might even kill you. Yeah. Right? So now not only are we stressed about whatever the stressor is in our lives. But we're stressed about our stress. But we're stressed about our stress. Now, there is another mindset with which you can approach stress, right? And and in this episode, they talk about uh, how most groups responding to stress treat it as a difficulty. But some certain groups treat stress as an opportunity for, like, to overcome a challenge, right? Yeah, an opportunity to learn a lesson. An opportunity to learn a lesson or an opportunity to make yourself more adaptable. In particular, they looked at a group of Navy SEALs, uh, actually Navy SEAL recruits going through the uh, BUDS training. That's like their basic training testing thing. Yeah, their hardcore uh, shit. Yeah, their hardcore shit. And they found that in in that group, um, there's a higher percentage of individuals who view stress as a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? There's two different ways to view stress, right? Culturally, it's kind of viewed as something super detrimental, something that could even kill you, right? Like avoid stress at all costs. But if you think of stress as an opportunity for adaptation, if you think of stress as a primer for you to become a better person, right? An opportunity for you to advance, then you can welcome stress in stressful situations. You can appreciate stress in stressful situations and if you if you have that mindset and this is they actually studied they actually studied groups right if you have the mindset that stress is an opportunity for adaptation and an opportunity for growth then you'll have lower cortisol levels and lower levels of those harmful chemicals in your body that come from stress they actually performed the study and the way they did it is they put together a little inspirational video they put together two videos one video was talking about all the dangers of stress and deleterious effects of stress the other video was talking about how and in the video, it showed images, right, of, like, pro basketball players going to shoot, like, the final shot in yeah. the last 10 seconds and missing, right? Yeah. Like, stress can break you down. Stress can destroy you, yeah. right? Stress will make you choke. And then they made another video that was, like, stress makes the best leaders, right? Stress make brings out the best in people. Stress, yeah. like, and it showed and it showed videos of people making the final shot, like, in a basketball game and it also had these different quotes uh like one from winston churchill that was like true leaders emerge in times of war right so like it had all these inspirational quotes and things about how like the stress you face in your life is going to turn you into a better person so they took these two groups they showed one of them 
the stress is going to break you down and destroy you video. They showed the other group, stress is going to make you into a better person and bring out your true self video. And then, then they put them in stressful situations and measured their cortisol levels in those stressful situations. And the group who had been just showed this simple like five minute video about how stress is going to make you better. They had like a lower heart rate, they had lower blood pressure, and they had lower cortisol levels during the stressful incident than the other group. Yeah, because they're like, yeah, I'm going to go out and achieve anyway, (laughs) even with all these challenges. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's just important to think about like, what is your mindset around stress? Are you are you able to reevaluate your own mindset around stress or around these other things that are going to come up and make the necess- make some changes in that mindset that might end up giving you better health benefits. So just to recap, you know, uh, your mindset is incredibly important, right? It, mindset or the way you approach obstacles, the way you're looking at what you're engaging with, that's your tool to talk directly to your unconscious and your subconscious. And to get your unconscious and subconscious then to to work with you to achieve what you want, right? If you're trying to lose weight and eat healthier, just approach all those meals with joy and fulfillment and like a knowledge of how good it is for you. And then your body is going to react in kind. Approach stress with the understanding that it's the best opportunity for you to adapt and become a better and stronger person and your body will respond in kind. But only if you're approaching it with that that mindset that's most beneficial for you. It's not about what's good or bad, right? It's just about what's going to have the most positive results for you in the long run. So, like, try and shift your mindset in a way that will feed your body what it needs to become better. And that is really cool. Anyway, go check it out. <laughs> well, my body needs to be a better podcaster. <laughs> Seven to nine beers. All I need is more people to send me an email saying, this is the best podcast I've ever seen, and it's going to become the best podcast you've ever seen. Oh, yeah, like we said in, was it our first episode of this series, that if you tell us that we're make, that we're really good podcasters, it'll actually make us better podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> see, we intuitively knew this even then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, even, so just hearkening back to the first episode of this series two weeks ago, Leonard Mladenov, this guy that, this was one of the main researchers into the modern idea of the unconscious mind. He basically sums it all up at the end. He says, uh, he, he actually, it's really funny. He actually, he talks about Salvador Dali, right? Famous painter. He says, the artist Salvador Dali once said, every morning upon awakening, I experience a supreme pleasure, that of being Salvador Dali. And I ask myself, wonderstruck, what prodigious thing he will do today. (laughs) (laughs) So Salvador Dali just like every day wakes up and says to himself, oh, I'm fucking amazing. What an <laughs> incredible thing am I going to do today? Which kind of makes him sound like a huge asshole. <laughs> yeah. But I bet it's a pretty fucking good feeling. But I bet it really works. And I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah. he was a prolific artist. Like, I don't yeah. even know how many thousand paintings he created in his lifetime. But uh, yeah, Milano goes on to say there's something wonderful in, about, his, about his unrestrained and unabashedly optimistic vision of the future. Psychological literature is full of stories illustrating the benefits, both personal and social, of holding on to positive illusions about ourselves, including that I'm the best podcaster this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> I, I am a beautiful animal. <laughs> I am a destroyer of worlds. I mean, there's study after study just talking about how a positive mindset, a positive mood makes people perform better at tests, perform better at quizzes. I think, did we talk about the SAT thing last week or two weeks ago? 
I don't think so. I think we might have talked about it on the phone. Oh, my God. Jeez. Yeah, I oh, almost forgot. Really? You guys, so just to recap, we might have talked about this a couple episodes ago. There was this study where they, well, it wasn't even a study at first. They accidentally gave a student the wrong SAT scores after he took the SAT. And they gave him like a 15 something, like extremely high. They're like, wow, you're one of the smartest people ever. That student who had otherwise been a very normal level student started taking honors classes, started taking AP classes, started getting straight A's, and then got into a more prodigious university, at which point he was told by the SAT board or whatever, like, oops, sorry, we gave you the wrong <laughs> scores. You got up like right in the middle. Not, You're not actually smart. But he had become smart because he was told and because he believed that he was smart, right? They went on and did this study. They actually did a study after that happened. They did an actual study of these two randomized groups did the same thing. They didn't tell anyone they got bad SAT scores. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They didn't make anybody stupider. But they did take one group and say, like, okay, here's average. Gave them their real SAT scores. Yeah. Then they took the other group and gave them, told them, convinced them that they had these higher SAT scores. And the students in the second group, a huge percentile, like 85% or something, achieved higher grades, higher placement in classes and colleges than the group that had received their actual SAT scores. I feel like there's a Simpsons episode about that. Where I think so, too, about yeah, Bart. There's got to be, yeah. But that's really real. I mean, it's it's really true. So just be very careful about the way you approach these things in your life, especially with yourself, but also with kids, like... Set the expectation high. Uh, yeah. Allow them to have positive illusions of themselves, and it's usually going to end up better. Leonard Blondo, in his book, it goes on to say, like, it makes sense that it's hardwired into our brains because if you were, like, a cave person and you were a realist yeah. about your life expectations, <laughs> like, if you weren't an overwhelming optimist about your survival and about the survival of your progeny and the species... There's no way you would, like, walk out the cave door and face a fucking Arctic winter. You know what I mean? And be like, well, I bet I can go kill a seal today and survive for the next three months on its blubber. Like, if you were a realist, (laughs) if we were realists by nature, our species would not have survived. So it's important to maintain these positive illusions about ourselves in order to become our best selves. Bring it on, man. Bring it on. We're taking this podcast to the moon, man. To the fucking moon. Yeah. In a Ford Ranger. Yes. I wanted to kind of leave people with uh, one of my favorite quotes. It's by Henry Ford. And it goes like this. Whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Whoa. Henry Ford said that? Yep. Sure, it wasn't Rocco. I mean, Rocco said it, but it was Henry (laughs) Ford that said it. (laughs) I was no, I was gonna use that quote in this episode, and then we were hanging out the other night with Rocco, and then he's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and I was talking about this kind of shit, and he yeah. was like, you know, what that reminds me of, and I'm like, I know, I was gonna say that. <laughs> I was building up to that. I don't know. Anyway, guys, go out there and achieve anyway. You're the most beautiful fucking people in the world. You're the most incredible podcast listening group that exists. You're all the smartest strongest and most successful human beings in a hundred mile radius of yourself you can look back on a life of achievement (laughs) challenges met yeah competitors bested obstacles obstacles overcome overcome. yeah you accomplished more than most men and without the use of your without your legs (laughs) (laughs) anyway guys should we open an (laughs) m&m i'm gonna read the fortune on this m&m says "Mm." oh wait it says whoa so this m&m has a w on it yeah this one has an e on it this one has a three whoa Talk about mindsets, man. <laughs> These M&Ms are a great analogy for this episode. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man.
Just because they have an NW? No, because if you handed this to somebody and they didn't know it was called an M&M. Oh, yeah. They would be like, why does it have a three on it? Yeah. You're going to have to edit a lot of M&M talk out of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think let's open a fortune cookie here and wrap it up. Or unwrap it. Today, you will be recognized for your special gifts and will be happy for many... This is the fucking one from yesterday. I mean, from <laughs> Wait. yesterday episode. <laughs> You'll be happy for many hours? Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite fortune cookie. <laughs> I love it. It's not It's not overreaching, dude. It's no. just like, today you're going to be happy for several hours. It doesn't say how many hours. Just several. Just many. Many, many hours. That's good. <laughs> Many's good. You know, it's optimistic view. Yeah, sure. Mostly I would say, like, I might be happy today for a couple hours, but because <laughs> of that quartering cookie, I'm going to be happy for several hours more. Yeah. Let's do another one. Well, let's be sure to take this fortune cookie very literally and yes, uh, sir. whatever it has to say. You will be successful in your work. Fuck yeah. Excellent. I like that one because uh, it's fucking true. <laughs> I will be successful in my work. And so will all of you beautiful animals out there listening in your houses and in your cars and in now your tree houses. And, and if your... you have a chance, go out and buy a big bag of M&M's. <laughs> As a reminder, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening once more. We really appreciate you. We really love... It's a labor of love, of course, what we do, but it uh, it brings me a lot of joy just to have the conversations that I have with you guys and to know that you're listening to my voice and our voices and that you like it. So send us an email to that effect telling us we're amazing at beautifulanimalspodcast at gmail.com. And also you can send us a picture of your feet on Instagram. I think we already did feet. Oh, we already did feet. What else do you we want to got see? Feet. We, already got, we got plenty of feet. Or send us a message on Instagram at beautiful.animals.pod. Yeah, guys. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're plenty of room in our inbox, yeah, <laughs> so <but> to speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, us. but we appreciate any and all feedback. And, um, you know, like I was saying, it's hard as an adult to hang out and, <laughs> and just have long conversations with your friends as much right. as you might want to. So. I'm just recording all of mine so we we can do this asynchronously. (laughs) Much love. Don't forget to juice it. Don't forget to live your life to the fullest. And don't forget to realize that you're living your life to the fullest while you're doing it. Otherwise, your body's going to be very confused. Now, if you have the technology to listen to this, I assume you also are privileged enough to have clean water to drink available in your home. And I advise you (laughs) to go right over to that (laughs) source of water and drink it. So that you can stay hydrated. Yeah, while you're drinking the water, just m- remind your body that like clean water is one of the most beneficial things you can ever consume, and that basically <laughs> by consuming clean water, you're turning yourself into a fucking superhero. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. I know. You're seeing it every episode, I'm man. I'm seeing it, and fucking one of these days, we're all going to understand stay it. Stay hydrated. Stay vibrated. Drink rated. some <laughs> <laughs> Stay vibrated. interesting thing I forgot to tell you last week, dude. That guy, Dr. Doctor. <laughs> Quote, unquote, doctor. Yeah. Joe Dispenza. He puts on these week-long retreats, mm-hmm. and they cost, uh, you know, the everyday affordable amount of $1,899. For one week? For one week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, With right. anywhere from 800 to 2,500 people at his events. He's raking it in. He's doing okay. Yeah. They recommend that you allow the quantum field to choose your teammates in the seminars because you get in small groups, little teams. Yeah, yeah. Quantum teams. Yeah, quantum teams as opposed to large. You do a bunch. Here's somebody just did a, like a tell-all about one of the retreats, so I'm reading about it. A couple of pineal gland meditations. 
kaleidoscope meditations. So anyway, all this stuff, um, take it with a grain of salt. Maybe more than a grain. Take it with a glass of salt. Take it with... It, it just If you're thinking about doing one of his things, just give me a call first, please. We just talk about that. Because I feel like I could probably do the same for like a third of the price. Yeah. yeah. At the uh, New Washington School of Experimental Thought. <laughs> yeah. In New Washington, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, one thing he talked about that was interesting, actually, that he brought up in the book was about how... Uh, just a little tidbit on how advertising and commercials like will use like a shocking scene, a shocking something to like put you in a little bit of state of agitation and then tell you to take drugs. Oh yeah, you know. And he was saying that, and I was like, yeah, that's what you did in chapter one <laughs> <laughs> with like this story about this other person. And it was just interesting. But then he also goes on to say like that we do that too when we have people build their like little promo video for themselves. But it's good when we do it. Well, no, but but they they he was admitting to using those tools, but using it for good, yeah. basically, because he's he's like, yeah, they know that your subconscious mind is governing a lot of your thoughts, and so do we. Yeah. But we're gonna we're gonna have you put together a little video of your most inspirational thoughts and moments, and that's gonna talk directly to your subconscious and get you to succeed more. Yeah. Another thing, Doctor Joe Dispenza, he not only is he a doctor of chiropractic, which is important. I mean, I think I I don't know if I get this gotten in the episode, but. Biggest red flag about him is he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. I mean, neither do I. That's why I don't but, trust you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to read about your early life and career. <laughs> and my personal life and my controversy. So I didn't find this on Wikipedia. Or I should say, yeah, it took me many, many more steps than I expected to find about find out about this on Wikipedia. But that guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza, was involved in this cult in Washington. Oh, juicy. Yeah. This particular thing that this guy is involved with is called Ramtha's School of Enlightenment. It's an American New Age spiritual sect up in Washington in a town called Yelm. Yelm? Yeah. Y E L M. Y E L M. Yelm, Washington. Got to put on my Yelmet. Anyway, it's uh, it was founded in 1988 by this woman who calls herself Jay Z Knight, like Knight with a K, on this 80 acre estate. Uh, she's got a whole company, 80 staff members, all that. Her thing is she. She claims to be channeling a 35,000-year-old being named Ramtha the Enlightened One. Right. He's talking to the world and talking to her followers through her. Yeah. He was an Atlantean warrior, yeah. among other things. I, I didn't guess. realize Atlantis was that old, 35,000 years. It's very old. Yeah. It's very old, yeah. This lady, whose name is Judy Zebra Knight, she stated that... Fuck God's chosen people. I think they have earned enough cash to have paid their way out of the goddamn gas chambers by now. Whoa. And all gay men used to be Catholic priests. Oh, all, all of them. Yeah, and this actually, this one has a lot of credibility here. She says all organic farmers have bad hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually, wow, she's zebra. got a point there. Yeah, so this is, is this her or is this Ramtha, the Atlantean? Because he was, you know, it was an older time. Atlantis. Oh, that was, yeah, she was channeling Ramtha at the time, so. Oh, well, you know, different generation. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. 35,000 years old. He's 35,000 He's from old, a different though. time. Yeah, man, things were just different back there in yeah. Atlantis. I mean. So I'm not sure what Dr. Joe Dispenza's involvement is, <laughs> other than he was uh, attended that school of enlightenment. You know, I think most of the time when there's a cult or a group that doesn't exploit its people too hard and cause a lot of deaths... You don't really hear about it. They just keep going. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah. Like, yeah, you hear there are about plenty all that. of successful. The way to get your name yeah. out there as a cult is to go out with a bang. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of the middle-of-the-road cults that are just groups that uh, people participate in and maybe at some point feel taken advantage yeah. of, and maybe don't. One tidbit that might lead you to think that this, you know, Rama School, Ramtha School of Enlightenment, RSE for short, one thing that might you, might lead you to believe that RSE is a cult is that there's a support group for people who get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 2004, three members of the RSE produced a controversial film that combined documentary interviews and a fictional narrative. Fictional? Called What the Bleep Do We Know? Have you what heard of that? What the Bleep? No, yeah. never heard of it. It's been criticized by the scientific community due to its misrepresentation of quantum physics. Hmm. Which is what we were talking about the other day. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he was involved with that group in some capacity. Well, that's fucking cool. Yeah, and Jay-Z Knight's obviously a reputable source. Yeah. So just to like flavor last week's episode a little bit more, you know, be careful who you give your money to, even if they're <laughs> right about certain things. Quantum physics is so easy to understand, I don't understand how they how they uh, got it wrong, you know? <laughs> how they were able to misrepresent it. <laughs> I know. It's just laid out there for the common man. Yeah, it's just... So simply and easily, it doesn't take like 18 layers of different people breaking it down in order <laughs> for me to even understand like a fucking half second of it. I don't know any. I don't know one thing about quantum mechanics. I know that a quark exists. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say I know no. that a quark. <laughs> I don't know what a quark, but I know that a quark. Yeah, I think there are five traits of quarks or something: up, down, spin. Sounds right. Something else. <laughs> Should we just do a segment where we just like read physics articles <laughs> yeah. that are like beyond <laughs> comprehension of any physicist? Yeah, people are gonna love that. <laughs> Look up quark types. Instead of archetypes, we should be talking about quark types. Quark types. People are like, I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm like, I'm a spin. <laughs> I'm a spin. <laughs> quark is a dairy product. It's a type of fresh dairy product made by warming soured milk until a desired amount of curdling is achieved. And that's what all atoms are made of. <laughs> I didn't realize that quantum physics was so easy to understand. <laughs> Dictionaries sometimes translated as curd cheese, cottage cheese, farmer mm. cheese, or junk it. The main questions about quark are, is quark the same as cream cheese? <laughs> or is quark the same as cottage cheese? <laughs> is quark cheese or yogurt? It's sad that the basic building blocks of our, you know, universe are like lower down than a dairy product. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I had to type in extra words to get to the it's crazy. to get to the fundamental fundamental particles fundamental. of physics. They join to form hadrons such as protons and neutrons. Which are components in the nuclei of atoms? Wait, 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 wait. Protons and neutrons are both hadrons? So the Large Hadron Collider is colliding. <laughs> Man, I said that word funny. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's just colliding protons and neutrons, probably maybe electrons. I don't know. Pro uh, wait, wait, wait. Are electrons a hadron too? Tonight? I don't know. Electrons are special. Do you know what the antiparticle of a quark is? A gluon. Nope. Antiquark. Fuck. <laughs> What's a gluon? Let me get through all right, all right, all nine right. things at a time instead. Well, these measurements indicate a non-integer spin of either plus one half or minus one half. A proton is composed of two up quarks and one down quark. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Now what happens if you turn it upside down? Then it's composed of two upside down quarks and one downside up quark. Oh, yeah, yeah. They carry a pair of color and anti-color charges. God fucking damn it. Oh, here we go. Wait, We're wait, about wait, bonds. wait. Color and anti-color? <laughs> fuck does, what does color mean in this context? <laughs> it's probably the same as spin. Because the spin is plus or minus one half. Okay, I was wrong. I was wrong. And here we go. When in the strong interaction between quarks, they exchange gluons. Well, it's a gluon. Well, let me tell you, they are massless vector gauge bosons that carry uh. a pair of color and anti-color charges. 
But not quarks, just charges. No, no, because uh, they... The, the they're between quarks. They're being exchanged between quarks. Are they a particle or a wave? Well, <laughs> when exchanging gluons, the color of the quarks change. The color force is weakest when the quarks are close together and become stronger as they move apart. There's literally a color force... Why did they have to name it color? Why didn't they just give it another name? I'm sure it doesn't actually have anything to do with that. Well, they color. already used up, down, strange, charm, totem, and bop. I mean, bottom <laughs> and top. <laughs> totem and bop. The f- oh, there's also flavor. The flavor of the quark. Yeah, there aren't. Properties. I was wrong about spin. Yeah. If up, down, charm, strange, top, and bottom. I was thinking of strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an advertisement that's pretty clever. It has It's a shirt. It says, don't worry, I've had both my shots and my booster. And it's two and pictures two of shot glasses. shots and a beer. And a beer. Uh, man. Why do they use words like charm and strange? Same reason they use plus one half or minus one half. <laughs> Same reason they use flavor. For every quark flavor, there is a corresponding type of antiparticle known as an antiquark that differs only from the quark, only in that some of its properties have equal magnitude but opposite sign. Wait, so <coughs> quarks have signs like... If something is the opposite sign, like if I'm a Capricorn, the opposite sign is probably what, a Virgo? I have no fucking idea. It's probably a Leo. <laughs> well, I don't think that. So quarks have op- equal magnitude, but the opposite sign. That's the only difference between a quark and an anti-quark. Sounds like, I mean, yeah, it's just matter and antimatter. Antimatter is just a shortcut. So is anti-quarks. Yeah, yeah. It well, just balances equations. You'll be pleased to know that all quarks have a baryon number, which B equals one-third. What? And and uh-huh. a lepton number, L equals zero. Okay, what the fuck is a baryon and what's a lepton? Uh, the flavor <laughs> determines <laughs> other unique properties <laughs> described of in individual course. descriptions. Oh, You're... there's also light and heavy. Okay, I think that actually literally refers to their mass, which is cool. Wow, they used vocabulary that exists <laughs> as it should be used. Okay, 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 okay. When they say opposite sign, they really just mean... Plus sign or minus sign? I think so, yeah. Not the opposite number of a... Yeah, shut up. The opposite number of a positive number is negative. The additive inverse of a negative number is positive. Zero is the additive inverse of itself. Uh, That sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a page about math. Are you on the Wikipedia page? or? Yes, I'm on the Wikipedia page. Cool. What goes on in a proton? Oh, man. There's a bunch of stuff. There's up charm, top down, strange bottom quark. But then leptons include the electron. Is a lepton. Oh, nice. It's not a quark. Or a hadron. So it was a muon and a tau. And an electron neutrino is a lepton. And a muon neutrino. Wait, what's a neutrino? I don't know. I felt like I learned what a neutrino was at some point. Yeah, they're released in a lot of like nuclear reactions. Right. And also just constantly coming out of the sun in every direction and going but they're like so small that they like slip between all your atoms and stuff so they don't really fuck with anything except occasionally they do they don't fuck with anything except when they do except when they do yeah <laughs> i think it was like you you will have a gene changed by a neutrino twice in your life it's pretty uh infrequent it's relatively infrequent neutrino is like an electron but has no electrical charge and very small mass which might even be zero <laughs> god damn it God damn it. How does anyone understand this you, at all? You have to be really fucking high, I think. Or Is that how you got through m- physics? You have to be really fucking high level. 
of <laughs> education. Or have a really big dictionary of <laughs> scientific terms with you at all times. If you're confused about what a fermion is, it follows Fermi Dirac, uh, Fermi Dirac <laughs> statistics. Oh, well, yeah. that clears that I up. I mean, obviously it has a half odd integer spin, spin one half or spin three halves, etc. Duh. As you probably would have guessed, they obey the Pauli exclusion principle. Well, of course. Including all quarks, leptons, and all composite particles. What's a composite particle? Yeah, I have a sentence for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just read each other's yeah. sentences out of a very cool literature. Both the muon and the tau, like the electron, have accompanying neutrinos, which are called the muon neutrino and the tau neutrino. The three neutrino types appear to be distinct. For instance, when muon neutrinos interact with a target, they will always produce muons and never taus or electrons. In particle interactions, although electrons and electron neutrinos can be created and destroyed, some of the number of electrons in the electron neutrinos is conserved. This fact leads to dividing the leptons into three families, each with a charged lepton and its accompanying neutrino. That actually made sense a little bit. Nice. I wasn't listening, but yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> I fucking, I wanted to read this article because it was called Everyday Matter, saying like, oh, this the key building blocks of everyday matter. I'm like, oh, what is everyday matter? And so I clicked it, and it takes me to the article for baryonic matter. Oh. Which I was hoping... Would make sense. But it's just a type of composite subatomic particle which contains an odd number of valence quarks, at least three. A valence quark is a quark not associated with a neutrino? Or what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it belongs to the hadron family of particles. uh, Right, not a a lepton. Sorry. Thanks for coming to the physics corner of Beautiful Animals podcast. 